Heavenly Father, it's uh, so good that we can come together under your word. Uh, It's so good that we can remember and celebrate uh, through communion of all you've done for us in Jesus as he died for us and was raised victorious over death. Lord, as we come to your word as your saved and forgiven people in Jesus, please speak to us today. Help our eyes to see and ears to hear your word to us. May your Holy Spirit be working in us this morning as we hear and do your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, last Sunday uh, evening, uh, we got a win in basketball. Uh, We're actually not losing this year. Uh, We're we're four wins and five losses, but we won't talk about that. Uh, But we won 45 to 43. It came down to the last minute, and we all were so happy that we went out to dinner after to celebrate. And we went to a place opposite Garden City in Upper Mount Gravatt called Kebab Palace. Some of you might know that because we've been there for lunch on Sundays a few times. Uh, There are about 15 of us, uh, so we got split up into two tables. And on my particular table, everyone ordered this dish called a snack pack. If you're young, you might know what a snack pack is. But basically, it's a takeaway box with chips on the bottom, cheese on top of the chips, then kebab meat on top of the cheese, and then three sauces on top of the cheese, uh, the meat, and the chips. A very nutritious meal, I guarantee that. (laughs) That's what I've been told anyway. But everyone on my particular table ordered this dish, uh, this snack pack. Everyone except for the guy sitting in front of me, my friend Chester. You see, Chester, He's on a diet. And despite the temptation of being at Kebab Palace, the peer pressure from all of us buying the snack pack, and then the teasing, mostly from me, uh, to give in, to get a snack pack, we've all got it, which ended up with me sitting opposite him, dangling my snack pack in front of him all night. Chester, my friend, and he's still my friend, uh, he stood firm. His conviction to stick to his diet, it helped him push through all the noise. And there was a lot of it from me. (laughs) He stuck to his guns and he kept at healthy eating. You see, conviction, when you're convicted of something, when you're captured by truths, values, and realities, once they're embedded in, they help you stand firm and keep going in a certain action or behavior. And this is true for small habitual things like what you choose to eat or choosing to walk regularly or choosing to have cold showers every day. Why would you do that? And it's true for big things too, like pushing through studies year after year, convinced that the qualification at the end is worth it. Or making decisions like making yourself available For your kids, even when you're tired after you get home from work, convince that that habit, it fosters a positive connection with your kids. Or persevering through tough life situations, whether it be work, family, or health, convince that God's got you in his good hands and he's growing you. 
Well, today we're thinking about being captured by God's mission because, you see, mission, evangelism, sharing Jesus, it's not an optional extra in the Christian life. God's people are people on mission, and we're to be captured, convicted by God's mission and our role in it, and we're to let truths, values, realities from God's Word about God's mission and our role in it convict us and capture our hearts and minds so that we'll keep on keeping on, we'll keep working at being on mission, this mission of sharing Jesus to those around us who are lost without him. Today we're looking at Romans chapter 10. Uh, Parts of this chapter are very well-known verses, uh, but the context of these verses are not as well-known. It's actually part of a section in Romans, uh, chapters 9 to 11, talking about where Israel and where the Jews stand. If God's plan of salvation is justification by faith in Christ alone, which is all of Romans 1 to 8. You see, everything that Paul talks about here, about salvation, about sharing Jesus, it has the Jewish people in mind. A people who, as we know, knew God, but they didn't accept Jesus as God's promised saviour. Uh, This chapter, Romans 10, is a huge chapter that we won't be able to unpack fully today, Uh, but we're going to mine Romans 10 today, and we're going to see what it tells us about mission. As Paul thinks about Jews, Israelites in the first century in Rome who didn't trust in Jesus, and as we today think about those in our community who don't trust Jesus. In Jesus either. We're going to tease out three convictions about mission. Convictions that you've probably all heard before, that when embedded into our hearts and minds, it will move us to be captured by God's mission, to be part of His work in sharing Jesus to a world that desperately needs Him. And we see the first conviction in verse 1 in chapter 10, if you have your Bibles. Uh, Paul says, Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. You see, right from the outset in verse 1 here, we see and feel Paul's emotions and his heart toward the loss. He wants Israel He wants the Jews, his fellow countrymen, he wants them to be saved. It's his heart desire. It's his constant prayer. And this right at the outset should confront us in how we see the lost. Is it your heart's desire to see those around you to be saved from sin and death? Is it your prayer? Is it your burden? Is it your longing? Does it well up your emotions? Does it bring you to tears? Does it bring you to your knees to God in prayer? Verse 2 to 4 keeps going. 
For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. You see, the Jews, uh, the Jews are the ones that Paul longs to see saved. They're in this life-threatening situation. They got salvation wrong. They used God's laws wrongly. They tried to get salvation themselves, to establish righteousness on their own. And that's an impossible task. Rather than using the law to being directed to believing in Christ, to receive the righteousness of Jesus by believing in him, well, let me ask you today, how do you respond in seeing people in our community who are ignoring God, who are getting salvation wrong, who are in a life-threatening position eternally? Well, I think it's easy for us uh, to judge. It's their own fault. They dug their own hole. They're reaping their own reward. And it's easy for us to sit comfortably too, patting ourselves on the back, saying to ourselves that we got it right. How blessed are we? But look at Paul here. He sees the plight of his fellow Jews, their futile attempts to save themselves, their ignorance of God's salvation in Jesus. And this moves him to desire, to long for, to pray for, wanting and yearning for them to be saved. And that's our first conviction this morning in being captured by God's mission. It's growing a heart's desire to see people saved. That instead of judging or sitting back, we're moved by the plight of the lost, those in danger of eternity without Jesus, and wanting, longing, yearning to see them saved from death to new life forever. A heart's desire, a conviction to see people saved. There's many good images and analogies of the church around, our waiters in a restaurant, a church is a place of serving, a battleship is used sometimes, church as a place of action and spiritual warfare. But the one I want to suggest to you today is that the church is like a lifeboat. If you're in a lifeboat, you were lost and now you're saved, but you don't sit comfortably in a lifeboat, do you? You see, if you're a lifeboat out in the ocean, you're looking, you want to see others saved too. And it's urgent, it's dire, it's all-consuming. And you're looking out, calling out, reaching out, pulling people in when you can. That's what a conviction to see people saved looks like. So let me ask you, is this how you see God's mission? Is this conviction not just something you know, but embedded 
into your heart, a heart's desire to see people saved. Well, as we keep going, we're going to skim through the next few verses, at verse 5 to 8, if you have your Bibles, for Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law, that the person who does the commandments shall live by them. But the righteousness based on faith says, do not say in your heart who will send into heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Here, long story short, Paul, he compares two ways of being righteous. The first is by doing the law or doing works, which is what the Jews were doing and what many today in this world are effectively doing, works-based salvation. But the second way is not by doing, but it's by believing the word of faith. Because God has done all that's required to be righteous. And Paul, he goes on to unpack this word to believe in verse 9 to 13. And you can't really miss what this word is. You can't really miss what believing means. It's repeated in these verses again and again, four times in these five verses. Salvation is found through calling on Jesus as Lord. Verse 9. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. This word to believe from verse 8 is about confessing and believing two truths. The first is about who Jesus is to you, that Jesus is Lord, meaning that he's your master, your king, your ruler in all of life. And the title Lord or Curios in Greek was given to Caesar in the first century in Rome. And Jesus with this title of Lord, is put up against Caesar. Jesus, he's Lord. He's the one over all, not Caesar or anyone else. And the second truth is about what Jesus has done for you, that God raised him from the dead, referring to giving you new life, eternal life, dead to sin but alive in Christ. You see, believing and confessing these truths about Jesus, this is what leads to salvation. This is the word that saves. Verse 10 goes on and repeats the same thing. For with your heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. This is how someone is justified, made righteous, acquitted, before God's judgment, saved for eternity. It's by believing and confessing that Jesus is Lord and Savior. Verse 11 repeats it again. For Scripture says everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. You see, Paul, he now goes to the Old Testament 
to say the same thing, which would have been even more weighty towards the Jews and the Israelites. He goes to Isaiah 28, verse 16, which refers to the cornerstone, that's him, God's promised one, saying that everyone who trusts or believes in him, the cornerstone, Jesus, will be saved, will not be put to shame. And verse 12 has our fourth repeat if we didn't get it yet. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Now, he, Paul, he emphasizes the Jews and the Greeks or the Gentiles. He's saying, you're all saved the same way. There's one Lord. And salvation is found only this one way, in calling on the name of the Lord, believing, trusting, and confessing in Jesus as Lord. And this points to our second conviction this morning, a conviction that we all know, but a conviction that I think it's easy for us to take for granted. And we may sometimes not be as clear as we could be on this when thinking about and talking to our unbelieving friends. You see, being captured by God's mission, it's having a conviction that salvation is found through calling on the name of Jesus. And like before, it's not just knowing this or understanding this, it's being convicted, captured, inspired, and driven by letting that reality take hold of you as we consider being on mission as a church for God. Salvation is found only by calling on the name of Jesus as Lord. If we continue, if we build on our lifeboat image, uh, we've got the first conviction embedded in. Our church is like a lifeboat. Uh, we're in this lifeboat. We're longing, we're waiting and yearning for people to be saved. So how do we save people? We call out, right? We say, hey, over here, this is where safety is. Grab my arm, come here to be saved. But sometimes, as a church, we call nothing out. A lifeboat in the ocean, people needing to be saved, but we call nothing. Or we call out the wrong things. We say community, love, rituals, that's the way to be saved. Come grab that. But Paul makes it clear in Romans 10 that we're calling out, we're reaching out with the name of Jesus, the word of Jesus, the person and the work of Jesus, calling out, holding out Jesus, urging people to call on Jesus because people are saved only as they call upon the name of Jesus as Lord and Saviour. I'm sure most of you here, you know this, you were saved yourself as you called on Jesus as your Lord and Saviour. 
but we need to be reminded, encouraged, and challenged that the way our unbelieving family and friends will be saved from death to life, from judgment to salvation, from eternity without God to eternity with God, it's not by getting their act together in life. It's not by finding a good job. It's not by being less annoying. It's not by getting married. It's not even by going to church. It's by them calling upon the name of Jesus as Lord and Savior and finding life in him. If you're here this morning and you don't yet call on Jesus as Lord, it's great that you've joined us for the first time or for many, many times. You've heard the good news of Jesus today in the songs, in prayers, in communion, as we've looked at the Bible. My desire and our desire for you is not just to be committed here. It's to call upon the name of Jesus as Lord and Savior. Jesus is the only way to be saved. Without him, you're lost and you're heading to death and judgment. Find salvation and new life in Jesus today. Now we get to the last part of today's message. Uh, it's a series of questions that Tim read out before, and it's getting the reader to connect the dots if we have these two convictions in place. Starting at verse 14. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they're sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Here we get a glimpse of someone who doesn't call on Jesus to be saved. For Paul, it's a Jew, an Israelite. For us, it could be a family member, a workmate, a friend, someone who doesn't know Jesus. How are they going to call upon the name of Jesus to be saved? Well, if we follow Paul's logic here, they need to believe in Jesus. And to get there, they need to hear the message of Jesus. And for this to happen, the message needs to be preached or proclaimed to them. And for this to happen, someone needs to be sent to do this. And who is that someone? We often say, not me, someone else. Someone who's sent, like a missionary or a minister or a church leader, they're sent, they're commissioned, they're set apart, or someone who preaches, like an evangelist or a speaker. I think these two words are super unhelpful in English because sent and preach, they're churchy words, they're special people words. But sent is just someone who goes, just like Jesus commands us to go and make disciples. It's not only talking about missionaries, ministry workers who we commission and send. It's anyone, it's all of us, anyone who goes and preach. It's just someone who speaks, who declares, who talks out, who proclaims and announces. 
is not only talking about preachers or evangelists, those who give formal and public talks. And guess who these two words refer to? Well, 1 Peter 2 verse 9 says of the church's role, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Ephesians 3 verse 10 says, so that the church, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. You see, this means that God sends the church, each of us who are part of it, to share the good news of Jesus so that unbelievers would hear the good news of Jesus, to believe in Jesus, and as a result, call upon the name of Jesus to be saved. You see, God uses the church people, ordinary people like us, to share and proclaim Jesus, so that those who are lost without Jesus might hear, believe, and call on the name of Jesus to be saved. Some of you know uh, Tim Keller died battling cancer a fortnight ago. Uh, His writings uh, and his sermons really challenged me in being on mission in our everyday lives. I was reading his short commentary on Romans 10 this week, and he says this, Christ, through his church, sends out missionaries, preachers, ordinary Christians in all places at all times to be messengers of that apostolic word. God has sent us with the message of salvation. He may send us overseas, into the pulpit, or across the street street to our neighbor. But ours are the beautiful feet bringing good news. Our third conviction today is that God sends each of us, each and every one of us proclaiming the word of Jesus. If we use the lifeboat image again, uh, we're longing for people to be saved and we cry out, call on Jesus as Lord, trust in his work on the cross and you'll be saved. But who's the one crying out? In your mind, who is it? Is it just the pastor? Is it the deacons? Is it the Rindu in his Ubers? Do we delegate to others like City Bible Forum, CMS, AFES, they can do the job? Well, Paul and in other places in the New Testament suggests that it's the church, the believers, ordinary believers, each and every one of us, including you and me. And it's not ordinary believers doing it alone. It's ordinary believers working together. We were at the Reach Australia conference a couple of weeks ago and somebody said uh, during this conference that Not many people today will take one person from unbelief to conversion alone by themselves. It takes many people, many exposures, many impressions, many conversations, many times of hearing the gospel before they come to that point 
of believing in Jesus. And all believers are part of this work. And if this is the case, we should ask one another, who are you praying for and witnessing to? Encourage one another. Pray for one another during the week. If you meet them at some event like a church community dinner or at a party of some sort, befriend them. Connect with them. Help each other. Work together on mission. And if you do have an opportunity, take it and share Jesus with them. Tell them why you're a Christian, what it means to be a Christian for you, or what difference does being a Christian make to you. And if all of this sounds right in your head but a bit scary, that's okay too. Share this with one another. Ask for prayer about it. Pick a brain of someone who seems to be skilled on it. Take advantage of training opportunities. And we'll have some later this year in our Sunday sessions. You see, God sends each and every one of us in this work of proclaiming Jesus to our world. Well, as we finish this morning, uh, we've looked at three convictions in being captured by God's mission. First is a conviction, a desire, a longing to see people saved. Putting on those glasses every day that sees unbelievers as people who are lost at sea and needing to be saved. Second, a conviction that salvation is only found in calling on the name of Jesus. Going to church doesn't save. Being part of a community doesn't save. Only Jesus saves. So that's the message we're to give. Third, a conviction that God sends each of us to proclaim Christ. Each of us, not just some, not just a skilled or keen, but each and every one of us who are part of God's church. We've seen this lifeboat image through the morning. Church is a lifeboat. We're urging people to call on Jesus to be saved. And we're all involved. Well, as we finish off, God wants us to be captured convicted all in on this mission, in his mission, to seek and save the lost. If these convictions are already embedded in for you today, and you're involved longing for people to be saved and calling them to Jesus, let me encourage you to keep at it. Make sure you continue to be captured by God's mission, and make sure you help others to be captured by God's mission. Maybe this morning you need to be refreshed, reminded, challenged to be captured by God's mission. Maybe spend some time today to reflect and ask yourself, where in your understanding, your conviction of mission, is God impressing on you today? And pray and ask God to work in you to do that. Let's finish our time in God's word by praying together to this end. Let's pray. 
Lord God, as we reflect on being captured by your mission, remind us that there are people who are lost without Jesus who need saving. Remind us that the only way they can be saved is through your people calling on them to believe in Jesus as Lord and Saviour. And Father God, call us into action, knowing and trusting that you are powerfully working as the gospel is received and heard, and that you're powerfully working in people's hearts and lives as people believe and call on the name of Jesus to be saved. Ultimately, Father, it's your work, and you give us the privilege to be part of this work. So, Lord, help us to join you in that work. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.